them for tonight. Thank you, Linda. Hi, Sarah, I'm on, okay. Uh, first of all, I just want to say, I just want to say thank you to everybody at this church or everybody that's been here, but also the people that, that go to this church, because I know not all of you do. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking me into your hearts. Thank you for making me feel like I'm one of you when you know I come from over the border. I just want to say thank you so much. It means so much to me. It truly means so much to me. I feel that when I come up here, I've, I'm coming home. It's my second home, and so thank you for that. And also, thank you for coming again. You know, God must be doing something. You're hungry for him. Now, the message I've got tonight is it's not an easy message. It's It's... It's not a comfortable message for me to preach, but I'm going to preach it anyway because that's what he would have me do. Okay, so as always, I've just got to get my glasses on and I apologize for them going up and down, but it's called old age. <laughs> here, here we go, first up. Two things have struck me before I start the message which have actually confirmed the message I have tonight in the worship. The first thing is this. It says, <clears throat> it said in the song that we sang, um, these afflictions eclipsed by glory. He said, these afflictions eclipsed by glory. The second thing that struck me was this. It was, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. I think, I think the church has now reached a point in history where it can no longer be about me. I think we've all been guilty, all of us, including me, everyone, where we've sometimes made it about me. But you know, God gave the, his only son, it says. Why did God give his only son? Because God loved the world. God gave his everything for us. And he is now calling, like I said yesterday, he's calling us to a deeper level of love. This is the most important message, uh, I think, that we need to go deeper into his love for the simple reason that if we do not go deeper, we will not be able to do what he asks of us in these days. I read it yesterday, and I'm going to read it again. Some of you weren't here yesterday, 
And yesterday, um, I spoke about how I'm really sensing in my spirit that the song, this is called the Song of Songs because it is the Song of Songs. And this is not for those who do not believe in Jesus. This is not about salvation. This is about walking towards a deeper intimacy to the fulfillment of the consummation of Jesus, that we would be one as my Father and I are one. Jesus wants to be one with us individually because if he's one with us individually, he will be one corporately. And when he is high and lifted up, as opposed to any person, any ministry, any doctrine, when he is lifted up, then he will draw people by his spirit. When I was, um, when I was uh, speaking last week, I saw something that I'd never noticed before. You see, we think we go out and telling, tell people the gospel, but sometimes we forget that actually it's not us that is speaking. We are the vessel. We are only the vessel because it says the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin. It doesn't say Linda will come or Ellen will come. It says the Holy Spirit will come. And that is why God is saying, for what is happening now, the degeneration of the world, the persecution that is going to come against the Western church, and it has to come. It doesn't necessarily have to be violent, although I do actually feel that we are going to come up against spiritual forces in this nation that are going to threaten. There are churches in England, I know, that have already received letters from a certain religious group that have said to them, if you continue to hold your services, we're going to gun you down. This is a reality. This is already beginning to happen. Now, the only way that we will be prepared to stand because there's going to be a great apostasy. There's going to be a great falling away. Because if you don't do it my way, God, I'm off. And that attitude is prevalent, isn't it? It's still prevalent. If I don't get my own way, this church is not giving me what I want. It's not about us. It's truly not. It's about us laying down. Laying down. And I look and I see the cross. He laid down for us everything. And if we want this world before Jesus comes, we want the sheep to come into the fold. We want the revival to come. We're going to have to lay down. We are going to have to allow him to move by his spirit. We need to be spiritual Christians and not carnal. And so, the flip side of that is the afflictions that we have to bear when we follow Jesus, the things we are asked to lie, lie down, or lay down, sorry, they are eclipsed by glory. Paul said, I count the present sufferings nothing compared to the glory. Now, I told them last night about, I told the people that were here last night 
about God taking me on a journey where he asked me, I had to lay down my marriage. But you know what? I'm not just saying this, but I've not only had to lay down my marriage, I've had to lay down everything. I mean, I'm going to share some more testimony, but this is why I'm sharing this testimony. I'm sharing testimony with you because it's to encourage you. It's to affirm you. It's to say to you, well, if, if God can do it with a normal run-of-the-mill housewife from the Lake District, I'm serious. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows you, maybe, but God knows us. We don't need to be known. We need to just know God and for God to know who we are. We don't need to be anybody because we're an army of ordinary people with an extraordinary God. And God is looking for ordinary people. He's not looking for those that can do it. He's looking for those who will just kneel before him and surrender and let him do the work in us. But that will cost us everything. But it is worth it because it's eclipsed by glory. And so this is, uh, this is the scripture I got and I'm going to share this. And this is the reason why we have to allow Jesus to do whatever is necessary for that inner man, the Jesus in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory has got to be allowed to escape from that hard shell of self and it has to be broken open. And the only way it can be broken open is through the cutting, through the pruning, through the splitting, through the hitting, through the lopping off. That is the only way. So I am honestly... This is the time where the Lord is saying, I am looking for followers of Jesus Christ, the ones, as I said, who will follow me to the end. Because whoever follows him to the end will be glorified. Our time here is nothing compared to the time in eternity. We are here on a pilgrimage. And I'm telling you now, I'm standing here having really been asked to lay down everything. I'm going to tell you some stories and I'm going to ask you, you know, where are you? What would you do if God said, I want you to lay down your ministry? I don't want you to preach anymore. I don't want you to, or I don't want you to do what you love doing. I want you to lay it down. Or if you've done your, your, your training to be a preacher, he said to you, now I want you to lay it down. I studied for two years to be a local preacher that I was called to be in the Methodist church. I studied, and in those two years, I'm telling you now, it was horrendous. I felt like I was standing before the Sanhedrin at every monthly meeting because I believed in the Jesus of the Bible. I believed in the Jesus that heals now. I believed in the Je I wasn't seeing the healings. I wasn't seeing anything. I was, I was a, a passionate girl for Jesus. And these people thought I was absolutely off my trolley. And they thought I was arrogant to suggest that, that I could heal in Jesus' name. And, and it was so hard for me because I couldn't understand my tutor was not even born again. And you know what? Two evangelical Christians before me, they dropped out. They couldn't do it. It was too hard because they were not believers, these people, a lot of them. And God said to me, you've started. I want you to complete it to the end. I went for two years. Two years I studied. 
I did the assessments. I was absolutely criticized for nearly two years. I had moments eclipsed by glory. Of course I did. I wouldn't have kept going. Jesus kept me going. But then what happened was I'd done my final assessment and I'd had a lovely old preacher and he just turned to me and he said, Linda, he said, don't let them change you. Don't let them put you in a box, my girl. He was an old preacher, but he knew the Lord. And he said, don't let them put you in a box, my girl. He said, you've done well. And obviously I was learning. I was making mistakes. I, I was. I didn't have enough love then. I didn't. I was so passionate, but I didn't have the love. And I tell you what, I caused the fire to fall. <laughs> I really did. But God's tempered me. I was young. I was passionate, as some of you are. But he still loved me because he knew my heart. And this old preacher said this to me. And I thought, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I've done it. I've passed. I worked so hard. And then I went walking one morning in the hills. And I heard the Lord's voice. And he said to me, I want you to lay it down for me. I don't want you to get the title of preacher, local preacher. I'm not joking. I it was one of those moments I just felt sick. I said to God, you have literally put me through the mill here and now you're telling me that you want me to lay it all down. And do you know what happened? I laid it all down because they actually rejected me. I was the only preacher on the circuit to ever have been rejected from being taken on. And the reason I wasn't taken on was because of jealousy was because of religion, was because I broke the status quo, and they rejected me. I sat in that room as these people had rejected me. I cannot tell you how I felt. I had this wave of pain in me just came out. I was so broken. I was so hurt. I went away, and I, and I went into my room. I, I said to my husband, I'm not coming out. Don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not talking to anybody. And then what happened, for three days, I was in that room. Just I, I went out for meals and stuff, but I wasn't going to talk to the outside world because I felt absolutely broken, as, as we all would. And then what happened was I had... Um, I don't know where I should say this, really. Lord. Well, I had, a, I had an encounter with the dark realm, let's put it that way. The dark realm came into my room and it was a very, very serious one. But I'm telling you, it broke the self-pity in me. It broke everything in me because I knew that that was dark. And I just rose up and I just uttered the name of Jesus, just like that, Jesus. And it broke everything. That thing that was darkness had gone. And I realized, my God, what have I been doing? I've been sat in the cave like Elijah. God was saying, what are you doing in here? And what God said to me, God said to me, he said, you do not listen to, listen to me, all of you. You don't need a title. You don't need a title. You don't need status. You don't need qualifications. You don't need anything like that necessarily. Sometimes, of course, it's necessary. But he says, not necessarily. He said, if I want you to preach and I've called you as a preacher, I'm the one who will open doors. And when I open doors, no man can shut them. But what I want to see from you is, are you willing to lay this down for me? And it was a case of, yes. Yes, Lord. 
I will lay it down. So that was the first thing I had to lay down. The next thing I had to lay down was my job and my career. And this is for somebody. God spoke to me today for somebody. It might be for more of you. I went to, I, I, I was a, a woman, before I knew Jesus intimately, I was a woman who lacked self-worth. There are men and women in this room tonight that lack self-worth, and it's because of what the world has done and what people have done to you. And what happened to me was, I did my degree late um, after failing at school, and I did my degree, and I did very, very well in my degree. I actually thought that once I got my degree, that I would be sort of like, I would have arrived, but actually, I wasn't a Christian then. But actually, although I did really well, I hadn't arrived, obviously, because only Jesus can fill that gap. But what happened was I got married, and I was training to be a teacher, and I came top of the teacher training group, okay? And, and, and everybody was, were, they were saying, oh, she's, she's going to be fast-tracked, this one. She's going to be headmistress before long. <laughs> right. So what God said to me, you're not going to be fast-tracked because I'm asking you to give it up for me. I'd studied at university. He said, I want you to give it up for me. And what happened was, I gave up my career to come home, and I became a housewife and a mother. And God still used me, but when I was at home, because I didn't bring any money in, when money got tight, I was looked upon by other members of the family further afield. And I was also looked upon by my children. And, and it was very, very, very hard to the point where if I went for a pair of glasses with my husband, my husband would buy the, uh, I'll always remember this, my husband would buy the non-glare lenses, but I didn't think I was worth the non-glare lenses. I didn't buy myself the non-glare. I always bought myself second best. I was ill for two years. God took my health away for two years as well. And he allowed it for a reason. You know, God is in control of our lives. He, but look at me now, I'm fighting fit. And because whatever God takes away, God gives you back. God gives you back. He just wants to see what you are willing to surrender to him. I'm going to read you something in a minute. But this is about people who lack self-worth. You see, I used to think of myself, I was really, really ill. And I remember, because I knew that my husband had to pay something before I could go to the specialist, he had to pay something. I had to go to the specialist. It would have taken months on the NHS, and we, we were, my husband got booper through his company. And uh, I always remember saying, I'm not going to, oh, I'm not going. I'm not going. This, this was my mindset, because I felt so lacking in self-worth. I didn't think I was worth it. And there are women here who feel like that. We've been overlooked. We've been made to feel that we're not worth anything, really. That we're just, you know. But God says, you are worth everything to me. Anyway, what happened with the doctors, what happened with the doctors was, my doctor sent me and said to me, I'm sending you. My husband said, you're going, and that's it. My husband rose up. He said, you're going to the specialist. That's it. And my doctor said, I'm sending you to the specialist that treats the footballers' wives in Manchester. And it was that. That was a turning point. 
Pat was also, I have to say, Pat, thank you, because Pat used to say to me a lot, will you stop thinking that you're not worth the best? Will you stop thinking that? My self-worth was really, really low. And if your self-worth is really, my self-worth is no longer low. Even though I went through the toughest time of my life, those three years, being estranged from Michael, my husband, it was the toughest time ever. But do you know what? God stripped me of every need apart from himself. So for example, one day I was with God during the day, all day, I was in ecstasy, complete, utter ecstasy. And this is the thing, you've got to be loved because you're not loved just for the nice fuzzy feeling, you're loved so that you'll become warrior-like so that you'll become brides with boots on, so that you'll be able to face the enemy and say, you can do what you like, but I know the one who is the lover of my soul, the one who said he'll never leave me, the one who said, I will fight for you, the one who is my rear guard, the one who is encompassed around me, Emmanuel who is with me. He needs you to know his love so that you can be the warrior bride and be an overcomer. In the last book of the Bible, it talks about being the overcomer to him who overcomes, to him overcomes. And when you're born again, you are born to overcome. But that will cost because how are you going to be strengthened if every time some difficulty comes, you allow the flesh to rule and you go and, oh, there, there. The flesh is our biggest enemy. It really, it's my biggest enemy. It's my biggest enemy. I am constantly saying to this flesh in me, which rises up on a regular basis, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me. And he gave himself for me. So you're dead. So don't start raising your voice. You've got to start talking to the flesh and telling the flesh to get down, die, and stay down. But that is the reason why he gives us this love. Anyway, just to say that, um, just to go back, what happened was... Where was I? What was I telling you? What testimony was I telling you about? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'd had this day with the Lord, and it was when Michael was away, and I was in ecstasy. I was really, I mean, I cannot explain the love. It was just amazing. But do you know what? And this is it. That night, I went to bed, and as I'm in bed, after having that beautiful day with the Lord, he said to me, now, I want you now, I was already without my husband, I was already without my family. My family were a long way away. I couldn't, you can't share with your children, can't hurt your children with what is going on between a husband and a wife. You can't do that, it's not right. And I wanted to protect them, they were already hurting enough. And he said to me, I want you now to lay down everything. Listen, everything, your home, he said, your home. He wanted to see where I lived. I lived in a barn. I was living in a barn, a beautiful barn. My husband had gone to live in a house in a wood. But I lived in, the, I had the beautiful home. He said, I want you to lay down the barn. I want you to lay down the car. I lived in the middle of nowhere. There was about one bus a day. 
I want you to, well, it wouldn't have made any difference because I'd laid down the barn, so I was going to be moving. So I want you to lay down the barn. I want you to lay down the car. I want you to lay down your mobile phone. I want you to lay down everything for me. Will you do this? He had just filled me to the full capacity. Listen, I am not joking. This is what God said. He had filled me with love. There was no way I could say no. There was no way. I was too filled with love. In, in fact, I actually did a little chuckle because I said, Lord, you are so naughty because you've just spent this whole day filling me with love and now you're asking me to lay down everything. But listen, just listen to these words because I did lay down everything. And the next day I went into church and I went, and you know what? There was a girl at church. This is what God did with me. There was a girl at church, and she had just put a house up for rent. And I went to look at the house. It was in a place that I absolutely hated. It was. The house, it was like awful. But it did have enough bedrooms for my children when they came to stay. But listen what it says. Listen what it says here. I don't know if anybody, Sarah, this is one for you to remember, this lady's name. And anybody else that is interested in the true, honestly, in the true life of union with Christ. Her name is Jean Gouillon. Has anybody heard of Jean Gouillon? I am telling you, this woman is phenomenal. She was jailed by the Catholic bishops because she wrote a commentary on the Song of Solomon. She knew the love of God, and she was like, like I have never seen anybody like this lady. She was born, I think, in the 17th century, but God has used this lady to really encourage me in my walk with him. This is what she said. We possess, we possess by first being deprived. We possess by first being deprived. Death precedes life. Destruction in the spiritual experience turns to renovation out of the sorrows and silence of inward crucifixion. And from no other source must grow the jubilees of everlasting bliss. You see, it is when we die to self, when we lay down our lives completely, that actually, that's why I'm telling you. So I did lay it down. I laid it down. I wrote to my husband, and I said, you are not, I am not receiving any more um, uh, uh, of an allowance from you. I'm not receiving any housekeeping allowance because he very kindly gave me some housekeeping. And uh, he, I said, I'm not doing that. I can't receive that. I'm giving you back the car. I'm giving you back your car keys. I'm giving you back the phone. And I had to write him a letter and tell him that he was no longer responsible for me in any way, shape, or form. But do you know what God did? Now, this was a man that up until that time had begrudged. He'd begrudged me being at home. He'd begrudged. I had seen, I had seen how other people in my family got preference over me with money. 
with going places. God paid for my ministerial trips. Now look, I, that, was that was where we were at then. God, it's not that like that anymore. But let me tell you now what God did. I sent off the letter to him and I was very nervous. And a, about a week later, I got a reply. What do you mean? It was honestly, it was panic. What do you mean? No, 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 no. I am not joking. My husband said, no, I want you to keep the car. I want you to have the money. You are working for God. I would rather invest in you than in anybody. No, you mustn't leave the house. You must keep the house. I want you to. And it was honestly, everything that I had laid down before God, he had given me back. It was just unbelievable. But from that day forward, what had happened to me was, I no longer look to my husband to be my provider. I no longer look to him. I look to God. And God has been faithful. When we got back together, my husband said, you can have access to my bank account. We're, we're joint now. We're together. But since then, in order to show me what covenantal God he is, God has said to me, I don't want you to go into the joint account. This is only for a season, but he's showing up me so that I can tell you that you don't need to worry about him not fulfilling his role as your covenantal God and fulfilling all of your needs, all of them, physical, spiritual, mental, he will fulfill as you journey with him. He is faithful. And that is what he is saying tonight. He is looking for a covenant people. He is not looking for a casual acquaintance. The whole world is refusing to, to marry now. Why? Because nobody wants to commit. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood, in essence, he was saying, not only have I made a covenant with you, I have also said, I am going to keep the covenant. I'm going to enable you to keep it. And how are we enabled to keep covenant with God? Well, we are, we are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't always keep it. We fail, but that is okay because he paid the price for us. So when we mess up, it's, it's not that we live in guilt. It's not, we just say sorry. We keep a short reign with God. We get up, we pray for more strength not to fall into that trap again, and we move on from glory to glory. It is such a wonderful gospel. Our God says he will be our everything together, and this is why you're here because the church has got to rise up into a new way of thinking and self has not got to feature anymore. So I ask you a question tonight. Are you afraid? Are you afraid of giving him your all? Because I was afraid. I was afraid of giving him my all. The Shulamite was afraid of giving him her all initially. And what did he do? I told you. And what did he do with me? He took me back into the presence. I said, I want to. I want to give you all of my life. I want to be able to give up anything that you want. I want to love you as you deserve, God. But, but I haven't got it in me. 
and neither of you. None of us have it in us. But God just wants to see our desire. And if we haven't got the desire, we have to just ask. It's, it's so simple. We have to be humble and realize we can't do anything in our own strength. But that is so freeing. You're still with me. I know it's been a tough message, but this is what he said. I want to share this. The reason I've shared this is for this reason. I'm just going to get this now. If you, go to, if you want to just turn to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 it is, and I'm reading from the Amplified, but this is the reason why we have to live like this now. Blessed Gratefully praised and adored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us and encourages us in every trouble. He comforts and encourages. There is always a place to go deep, deeper than the actual trial that we're going through. I could always come out of the trial. It took a few days, but he took me to a place where he, he poured out his name. It says in, um, in, in uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3, because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth, therefore the virgins love you. He is saying here, the Shulamite is saying that because of your graces, because you're so loving, because you're so kind to me, because you don't get angry with me, because you don't get impatient with me, God, because you never speak unkindly. God never speaks unkindly to us, ever. He's gentle with us always. He understands everything. He understands when we're going through tough times. He goes through the tough times with us. And the tough times hurt they hurt and he knows that but he says there is always a place we can go that is deeper than the hurt it's eclipsed by glory afflictions eclipsed by glory and when your husband neglects you you can go to Jesus who is your husband you don't need to look at your husband God will change hus I don't know what I'm looking at God will change husbands God will change husbands, but God has to change us first. It's not about me praying, will you change my husband, God said. God said, I need to change you. I need to develop in you the fruit of Holy Spirit. That's what I had to have developed in me. God took a sledgehammer, and he needed to. He needed to. And he's still developing all of us. I'm grateful to God this is what I want to say. I am grateful to God that he took me away those three years to be alone. I'm grateful to God that he took me out of the Methodist church. I'm grateful to God now that he took everything away for a moment because I no longer need to depend on anyone. I don't need to depend on anything because I know I've been, I've been I remember one day I was stood in London. I had my suitcase Oh, I was in a bad way. I, had, I felt like I was completely alone and there was no one and I had no money. And I just looked over the Thames and I just said, this is it. I really know, I have no one 
but you, Jesus. I don't have parents. My parents died. I had no one. And God just came and told me who to contact. And I just contacted them. And, and then he came through for me. And please hear me. He will come through. Listen. But he says, he comforts and encourages us in every trouble so that we will be able to comfort and encourage those. It's about other people who are in any kind of trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Just as Christ's sufferings are ours in abundance. Come on. It says, just as Christ's sufferings are ours in abundance. This message has not changed. It's not that the church in the West doesn't have to suffer like the church in China. We are called to suffer in different ways. And I am not elating suffering. And I'm not saying that, you know, we look for suffering. We don't. All I'm saying is that when things happen, let's keep our eyes on Jesus and look at things with the right perspective. And we can expect to have trial and tribulation because God said we would have. And we can't run. We can't pander to our flesh when some sister offends us. We can't. We've got to be mature now. We've got to grow up in stature. We've got to do this now. Now is the time. So he says, <clears throat> I'm going to finish this verse. So also our comfort, our reassurance, our encouragement, our consolation is abundant through Christ. So just as the sufferings are abundant, the encouragement and the reassurance is abundant through Christ. It is truly more than enough than what we have to endure. But if we are troubled and distressed, it is for your comfort and your salvation. You see, God said, if you had not been prepared to walk this walk, how on earth can you talk about it? I couldn't talk about these things. You can't just stand up and talk about these things if you've not gone through them. So I've had to go through so that I can say, but you get through. You go through, but you get through. He leads us to the other side. He leads us to the other side. So I'm saying, I'm saying today, let us get in the place of love. Let us get in the place of intimacy. Because there we will smell and receive the fragrance of his good ointments. His name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Virgins, they're talking there. He, the Shulamite is talking there about those people in the church who want to walk the pure walk, who are hungry for God. The daughters of Jerusalem are those who have got their toes in, those that sit on the pews and come and go, but they're not prepared to let God go the whole way. But today is the day of the whole way. It's today is the day of the whole way, and there is a cost. He says, he also says for verse, um, chapter 1, verse 3, your presence releases a fragrance so pleasing, over and over poured out, for your lovely name is flowing oil. And I'm telling you, if you're going through stuff, 
you're going through stuff and you're in pain tonight. His name is like ever-flowing oil that keeps pouring out. And as you go to him, it doesn't matter what situation you're in, he will come, he will heal because he has suffered on your behalf and he knows how you're feeling and he is your healer. And he can bring you beyond what you're going through. In verse 4, she says, draw me away, draw me away. And this is what we have to allow him to do now. We have to allow him to draw us away from worldly distractions, to draw us away from the hustle and bustle of life, to draw us away from the television, to draw us away from the computer, from our mobile phones, to draw us away into spending time so that he can build us up, so that he can make us a people ready. And then she says this, draw me away. But then the daughters of Jerusalem who see from afar and they're seeing the walk that this Shulamite woman is making and they're seeing how passionate she is for Jesus and some of them are getting warmed in their hearts and they're saying, Come, let us run with you. We will run after you. But notice they say, we will run after you. Because you all know that there are those that have to go before. There are forerunners. Jesus was the forerunner. He was the firstborn of many brethren. Some of you in this room are called to be forerunners. You're called to go and make a path for others to walk in. Called to be bridges for others to go over. Because not everybody's in the same place. But if you go through it hand in hand with Jesus, then you will encourage others. You will pull others up out of the dust. You'll be the encourager that says, no, you're not staying down there wallowing in self-pity. No, there is an answer to the situation. And the answer is Jesus. And we're going to persevere. And we're going to trust and believe. Come on, let me help you. We have to help others up. And we then can take them with us on this journey. But everybody is responsible. And everybody has to decide whether they're going to come. We are called to be a people set apart, aren't we? We're called to be a peculiar people. We're called to be countercultural to the world. But you know, you know as well as I do, that sometimes the church is, not is no different from the world. And you know, that's why we need to be drawn away by him to live a life of holiness, to live a life of righteousness, to live a life that has the courage to say no, to live a life that says, I, I am not following popular culture. I'm going to have to make a stand here because for the sake of Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you even though you hate me. I am still going to persist in loving you. The only way we will ever get to that place is to be in the place of intimacy. And it's very interesting, you know, because you all know in the Bible, am I going on? How many? I, I, I don't want to bore you. <laughs> I hope I'm not boring you. How long have I spoken for? All right, okay. It's just, there's just so much inside here. But you know what? Draw me away. You know the, pl the place of drawing near? It's the place in the Bible that we call, is called Goshen. 
I don't know if you knew this, but there is a place in the Bible, and it's mentioned twice. It's mentioned in, Ex in, in Exodus 8, and it was, it was when the Lord was um, using Moses to deliver the Egyptians from Pharaoh. And he said, he said to the Pharaoh, I'm just paraphrasing now, the verse, if you want to look at it, is Exodus 8, verse 22 to 23. And he says, but on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. And what God is saying, look, in the last days, when things are really getting bad and people are short of money and people are fearful because of, go of going out on the streets, I want a people that is rejoicing in me, that is happy, that is absolutely dependent on me. And then the world's going to look at these people and the world's going to say, well, what, what, what is different about you? And our answer is, well, we've got a savior. We've got somebody who looks after us, who takes care of us. We follow his way. His name is Yahweh and his way is the right way. That is what God is looking to make. I'm serious. He is looking for those people who are so committed to allowing him to draw them in that they will live lives in Goshen, in the place of provision, in the place of drawing near. You will see God come up trumps, I'm telling you. He's never, ever let me down, ever. Never, ever. And then the second time, listen to this, it's in the book of um, Genesis, and it's, uh, where is it? It's Genesis 45. When Joseph said to his family, they were living in Israel, but there was a famine. Joseph had been used by God to save that area. Look at the suffering of Joseph. Look at the suffering of Paul. Look at the suffering of David. Look at all the, the Bible characters, how they suffered. It is the same now, but look how they triumphed. Look how they triumphed. Look what God did with them. It's, it's worthy. I count the present troubles, nothing compared to the glory that is going to follow. When I got back with my husband, I could not believe the blessings. I've just had my 60th birthday. I am not joking. Do you know how many birthdays I had in the month of June? My birthday's in June. I had three, one for every year that I had missed. God gave me three. My husband lavished on me. I was so blessed. I've actually, actually said to God, Lord, that's enough blessing now. Really, I can't. It's too good. <laughs> but if you'd have seen me five years ago, it was a different story because I was going through stuff. And, but he brings us through. He brings us through. We've got to go through. We've got to make our minds up to go into this new year of God with a different mindset to love. And we're going to do it with God's help. So, and he says in Goshen to his family, I will provide for you there because there is still five years of famine and you will become destitute. Well, let me tell you now, Church of Jesus Christ, that if we do not go to Goshen, to the place of intimacy and drawing near, we will be destitute because we will have nothing in reserve to stand when the going gets tough. And when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And in Christ, we can do all things. Okay? I've nearly finished. Oh, and I hope, I hope I've not discouraged you. Because it's not an easy message. I haven't discouraged you, have I? No. I, I, I've just, I'm just feeling we've got to get real. Hmm? He's our everything. He is our everything. And he loves us. Ooh, I, 
He loves us so much. I can't even put it into words. He says, look, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The Passion Translation says it like this. Listen to this, all of us. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of Jesus. If we were all walking like Jesus, truly like Jesus, do you think the world would not sit up and take note? Hmm? And I believe we're in the season where God is saying, right, I'm going to make you like Jesus now. Will you play ball with me? It's going to be tough, because it was tough for Jesus. It was tough for Jesus. But to be, look what Jesus did. Jesus ministered life, but he had problems with the religious. He had problems with those that had their own agendas. He had problems with royalty. He had problems. And he says, if he had problems, we're going to have problems. But you know what? He's worth it. And when we see the fruit, when we see people coming, when we see people comforted, when we see people encouraged, it's worth it. And that is why I am encouraging you. He says, this means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. So now, come on, I'm saying now, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I've witnessed to you through my testimony. My testimony, that is my testimony. It's been a testimony of laying down. It really has. It's, I'm sorry, it's not been a testimony, a very glamorous one. But <laughs> it hasn't been. It's been a testimony of laying down. But it's been a testimony of receiving such love from Jesus. And I do love people more than, I, than I've ever done. And I know that it's his love. So I want to encourage you. So we, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one who loves best. And he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, just let me finish with one more little quote from Jean Guyon. When your heart displays enough faithfulness to be willing to give up the gifts of God in order to reach God himself. God will shower you with the very gifts that you have set aside. But he quickly removes himself from those who are only seeking his gifts and his graces for their own sake and not for him alone. It is a challenging message. If there's anybody here tonight who wants prayer, who, who feels in their heart, well, I really, want, I really want to follow you, Jesus, but I am a bit scared, or, oh, Lord, I need you to do this for me. Please, I'm going to get my little chair out over there, and you can come and join, join me, and we can have a little talk about it. And just let Jesus come and, and give us a solution. I can't give you the solution, but Jesus can, and Jesus loves you. And remember this. I was in the summer, in the summer, I, w I went on a mission to the Jews to, pr to preach the gospel to the Jews in London. And the theme was this. The theme was that Jesus is the man of peace. And as I was sat thinking about Jesus being the man of peace, I remembered that somebody had 
carved for me the fruit of the Spirit out of wood. They were, they're beautiful. They're one of the most precious gifts I've ever received from anyone. And they're hand carved in wood. And I thought to myself, ooh, I wonder what fruit he carved the word peace on. This is for all of us now to finish. And when I went to look in the fruit bowl to see on which fruit he had carved and uh, peace, it was the lemon. It was the lemon. It was. A week before, I'd been into a charity shop, and I don't know why, I'd bought a scarf that was, I, I just loved it because it was so bright, so cheerful. I don't, I don't like dull colors, me. I just like to be bright, and I love bright colors. And this was full of lemons, this scarf. And I don't know why I got it, but that day I looked and I said, lemon, peace on lemon. And he said this. He said, yes. He said, because remember this, when life is like a lemon and it sucks and it's difficult, I want you to remember that there is always a place you can go to in me where you can find peace. And I wish you, I'm going to pray with you now. I just want to pray over you. Father God, Father God, I pray, thank you, Lord, first of all, for bringing these beautiful people, my brothers and sisters, they are, Lord, and I thank you for bringing them. God, you are the one who changes hearts, and I just pray that hearts will be set in a determined mode tonight, set with faces like flint to do what you ask of us, I look in front of me at the Union Jack and I see the blooded cross of Christ. You shed everything for us. Give us hearts, Lord, that will do all that you ask of us in these days. But I pray that no matter what we go through, we will know that you, Jesus, are shalom. You are the God of peace. And I just declare over everybody here that the peace of God that passes all understanding will fill our hearts and souls in Christ Jesus, now and forever, in the coming days, Lord. Amen. So thank you so much for listening.